Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good evening, everybody. We are um, right in the middle of our evangelism topic, which is kind of... Um, Number six of the eight that we're covering for the year. So as you can see, it sounded like a lot we're going to get through, but it goes quickly. And it makes, well, we're in number six now and of eight. Yeah, there's two, more, two and a half more subjects. Now, there are eight topics in total, eight subjects, just to call them topics, and uh, now we're in topic number six, in the middle of evangelism, which is kind of a logical growth from the, the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus, was the second one, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the authority of prayer, five, the place of the, the Bible in the life of the believer, and now you're talking about uh, uh, winning the lost preaching the gospel, evangelism. And then from here, we move into discipleship, which is taking converts somewhere. And then we end with the local church, which is only a two Monday nights. And that ends with the third week, of which is our 30th party. So that's kind of the year mapped out in terms of the extracurricular activities. <laughs> but uh, it was good having Rob here last weekend. You know, when you've got a a true Ephesians 4 gifted evangelist in the house. It's such a privilege. And the gifts are there to stir up. The prophetic gift comes to get us all excited about prophecy. The pastoral gift comes to get us excited about caring for the body. And the teachers come to get us established in the word. But the evangelist has that task of stirring up a love for the lost, which is the Great Commission, which, without which, we're just going in circles. We, we're playing soccer on a field where there's no goalposts. There'll be a lot of activity, a lot of running around, a lot of shouting, but it's kind of, after a while, it's kind of, well, what's the point? You know, it's like, it's what I want to ask universalists. What's the point, you know? Rather take what Paul said. If, you know, this is not true, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow you die, you know? That was his attitude. No, but there is eternity. So, um, if you're here on Sunday, and I try to summarize, kind of do a little bit of an overview of, of the conference, of the, the weekend Rob was here. And um, I, I, I used that illustration I'd used some years back, I think. Last time I used it with... Uh, and I just adapted it slightly where the ship crashes on the rocks. Survivors get off with all their treasure, but there's no food or water. And when people from the island, the islanders come to them and say, you have to leave your treasures. Uh, you have to follow us if you want to live because you're already dead. Stay like you are, you're dead. And uh, now the old illustration was, the food is free, the water is free, just follow us. It's all free, it's all free. Free food, free bananas, free 
vegetables, free water, and they take them into the camp, lock the gates, and then they say, now you're going to pay for the rest of your life. And that's called preaching grace to the lost and preaching a mixture of law and grace to the saved. And that's what we did for years. And to change that analogy around is we should be preaching God is loving, God is merciful, God is kind. But we have to preach law to the unconverted. Or else in Rob's terminology, we're throwing bait out onto the water at the end of a, a, a piece of gut and there's no hook in it. We're just feeding the fish. So we've we got to say to the, 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 those shipwrecked, you've got to leave your treasure. You know, if you try and carry that with you, you're going to die. You're really good as dead. But when they come into the camp now, when we don't mix law and grace, and the gates close, we say now the food and water really is free. Outside these walls, there's a job to be done. We're not called to passivity. There's territory to expand, ever-increasing horizons for the church. But in his body, we can never do anything to earn his approval. We can never qualify ourselves. We come into a place of living guilt-free. We, we live condemnation-free. Uh, we, we live out of a place of, of sonship. And I think it was a good, uh, I'm scared of using the word corrective message, Rob Ward. I think it was more a refocus. Because nothing's changed about the message we preached on grace. And we want to preach it more radically. But in terms of the emphasis on those who don't know Jesus, there needs to be a, a kind of pulling, pulling things tight again around eternal matters. So, so that was good. Preaching grace to the church and preaching law to unsaved. But remembering God is still love. And because of his love, he's made a way for those marooned on the shore who are dead already to be saved. Right, so tonight we're going to get into something a little bit practical out of the theory. So I hope you're ready. I hope you can absorb six points tonight. Think you can do that? Oh, I hope so too. So Lord, we thank you. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you to write them down. So, so if you do have a pen and paper, that would be helpful. But Lord, we thank you for this time that we are in here at the church. We believe the prophetic word over highway is that we will be a, a threshing sledge across the mountains, harvesting in a great harvest of souls. The, the field is ripe unto harvest. And we want to pray and ask you, the Lord of the harvest, would you send workers? Would you cause this church to be on the cutting edge of, of, of being a combine harvester? around this community and even further into uh, Africa, that we would see many brought into the kingdom of God because of the adjustment that happens in our hearts. So Lord, even as we come to this topic tonight and even as we look at some practical things, we, we don't put our confidence in, in pep talk, psychology, and sales pitches. We put our confidence in the truth of your word. And the truth of your word says that you're not willing that any should perish, but all should be brought to salvation. But you also command men to repent and turn. In past ages, you overlooked foolishness, but in these days, you're calling everyone to repent. And Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you made us alive in Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us a message of hope for the world, a message that can transform 
this planet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So there are six things I want you to write down. Number one, I'm just going to give you them, then I'm going to come back and elaborate a bit. Do you think there is a God? Question mark. Do you think there is a God? Question number two. And to save yourself, keep writing. Do you think, you can just do DYT. Do you think God cares about what is right and wrong? Do you think God cares about what is right and wrong? Then the third question, do you think, D-Y-T, you live up to God's standard? Do you think you live up to God's standard? Number four, will God hold people accountable for wrongdoing? Will God hold people accountable for wrongdoing? Number four, number five, is there a hell? Dash heaven. Is there a hell? Is there a hell? And then the last one is, can you avoid hell by living a good life? Can you avoid hell? Can you avoid hell by living a good life? And have a hell of a time. So now, there you have six, six questions. Now, now, as a preamble to this, um, these were six questions put out by a guy called Ray Camper years ago, although I have adjusted the wording myself, I think, just for clarity. Because I'm a simple person, I like smaller words. But just as an introduction to say that this cannot become a formula. The only formula there is, is the Holy Spirit. And when we encounter people in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our daily lives, in the lives of our children or our parents, it's really, and we've kind of, on the topic, subject on the Holy Spirit, we discussed the importance of hearing from God, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom praying for a healing. But even if someone does get healed or does get a word of knowledge or does have an experience of how loving God is, in a sense, that's still bait. It's only as in Acts 2 when they cry out and say, what must we do to be saved that the hook can be utilized. 
And the hook, very simply, is bringing people through a journey of self-discovery of where they're putting their confidence in terms of righteousness, right standing before God for eternity. And these questions start and they sequentially flow. So you don't have to get too academic about it. Just a key, few key phrases in those six can very quickly help you see the logical flow. First of all, we're establishing, is there a God? And answers are wide and various on that topic. And some, it will be very simple. Yes, of course I believe in that there's a God. For others, there'll be doubt. For others, there'll be agnostic tendencies. I don't believe there's truly an atheist in a stricter sense because behind design, there's a designer and anyone with a little bit of education would know that. But having said that, that question is not to start a theological discussion around trying to prove the existence of God. The Bible assumes the existence of God. And it's said that creation has given you the fingerprints to show that there was a designer behind the design and a very intelligent design at that. So intelligent that we he's almost invisible to our five senses, except what he created. And it's only through revelation that we come to know that he is spirit, that he's immortal, that he's eternal, that he's loving. So in asking that question, it's more of a thermometer. It's like taking a reading. It's not to get a debate. That leads logically into, does that God care about what's right and wrong? Because now we're introducing morality from a God who's just a creator to a God who cares about right and wrong. Because if he's just a distant force and has no morality, then where did we get our morality from? How do we know what's right and wrong? And the New Ager could very easily have an argument like, hey, you know, like, like uh, for, one, for one man, one thing's wrong, and like another man, another thing could be the same thing could be right, like, because it's all relative, like, and you know, you know what's right for you, like, might not be right for me, like, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell that to someone whose parents got eaten by a cannibal and ask them, was that right or wrong? Or how do you feel like when someone took your daughter and abducted her? Right or wrong? What, relative? No, no, there's some absolutes. And God is absolute about some rights and wrong. Again, just a provoking question as a thermometer to gauge, one, do they believe in a God? Secondly, does that God care about right and wrong? Which then leads to the, the third sequential uh, step, which is, does my life line up with what God's standard is? Is that right? Because now, if, if God cares about what's right and wrong, does my life line up with what is right and wrong? And if I if I say yes, that's good, but it's not the whole truth because God's right and wrong is at a much higher standard. 
than mine. And that's where self-righteousness comes in. So if I think I meet God's standard, in a sense what I'm saying is, I'm good enough because I'm comparing myself with Janet, where are you going? TB. What, what, is, what is that program you're watching? The guy TB? T? No, no, please. Oh, I mean, <laughs> the serial murderer. Yes, what's the guy's name? Ted Bundy. Okay, if you compare yourself with Ted Bundy, you're probably doing all right. You're not such a bad person, you know? So, do I believe that my life meets up with God's standards? That's a good next logical question. Then moving away from morality, we're moving into, should God hold those people who don't keep His standards, should He hold them accountable? Can you see the logical progression of it? That the person says, yes, now I think I live up to God's standard. Oh, okay. Now you just, I mean, you just make a note of that. You don't try and tell them now they're comparing themselves with Ted Bundy. You just say, okay. But that tells you that there's a little bit of self-righteousness in there. Because the other answer would be, I don't know, I've tried, but I failed. It's probably a better answer. They might think it's a worse answer. But that's a better answer. And then, should God hold those who have not done Right, the right thing, accountable. Th- that's not talking about the sovereignty of God in relation to us. Because in humanism, there's very much this thing of, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God to his face. What the heck was he thinking of doing? There's this kind of human arrogance of, uh, like Rob so succinctly said, about um, when people say, how can a loving God send people to hell. It's not a question. It's an accusation. Because we now setting ourselves up as a jury and putting God in the dock. So that, 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 that fourth question is very much, do you think that God should hold accountable those for their wrongdoing? Is very quick to solicit uh, either a response of absolutely. Because I know how I felt when my daughter got raped at a party. And then the criminals got off scot-free because of some technicality and some forensic blunder. Got off free from the incident. They walked out with, with arrogance on their face. I know how I felt. And there's something in us that, that, that says justice is right. God, God's not held it. Thank you, Megan, for defending me before the jury. Thank you, Janet, for putting me in the dock and making this. So, so, so we would know that, that there has to be justice, that, that there has to be consequence. You know, if, if God said, don't eat that because you'll die, and then they ate it and he said, well, you know, maybe I was being a bit hard. Then it would have been just good advice. It wouldn't have been a commandment. 
When you tell your child, if you do that again, I'm going to take you to your room and you're going to spend an hour there. They do it again, you say, okay, maybe an hour was too much, two minutes. They, are, they laugh because they know you, they, they don't have to ever believe your threats again. And God, well, God it wasn't a threat. It was a, it, was a, it was a commandment with an inevitable outcome. When you, when you walk into rebellion, you will be putting on spiritual death. And I don't want you to do that. And that's the consequence. Now we know that once again, these questions are provoking questions. The first question, where they're at in terms of acknowledging there's a supreme God. The second question moves into moves into the morality of, of that God. Third one is my morality. The fourth one is consequence of, of that morality. And then the fifth one is, if there is consequence, is there such a place as hell? Because that, that's not a popular discussion. That's not a popular topic in today's world. I've heard that rephrased, and I, it might end up at the same place if the fifth question is, do you believe in heaven? Because that kind of almost goes the same way with the next question, which is, uh, do you believe you could avoid hell by living right, or do you think you could get to heaven by living right? But let's stick with hell now, because it's, it's a hell of a subject that's out there that people are contesting, and, and I get it. There are different words used in the Scripture. If we do a, 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 a um, responsible study of the word hell, you do get... Uh, Sheol as a Hebrew word, which was the actual hole in the ground where they put people. Then, then we move into Greek times, and, 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 and Hades was a word used for the Greek, uh, the god of darkness, the god of the, the death, the underworld. And, and Gehenna was a physical place where they took rotting corpses and their rubbish dumps to the sulfur pits. But where else do we get our vocabulary from but real life events? So when Jesus wants to make a point about eternal separation and eternal uh, 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 hopelessness, he draws from the vocabulary of the day and he uses those words. That's not to say there's not an eternal judgment. It's not to say that there's not an eternal separation. It just means Jesus used those words for hell. And now the humanists and the, and the rationalists and the universalists come and say, yeah, but those words meant... Com- and they twist those words into meaning other things. And you end up with a, a God who says, I'll give, you some, I'll give you 10 good advices, not 10 commandments, because there's no consequences. Now, once again, we don't have to go into debates and a question, but it quickly brings the reading on the thermometer to where the, the person is, especially that last question, do you believe there's anything you could do to avoid? Do you believe living right? See, it's going again to self-righteousness. So, so, so these questions, there's a flow. There's a flow to them. And once you've got your thermometer reading, the next logical step is 
to be honest with them and say, well, according to the Bible, you got two out of six right. Would you like to know what Jesus said about these things? Because Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Do you know anybody that's ever done that perfectly? Jesus said, if uh, you get angry, so angry with someone, you wouldn't mind if they were dead, you've actually murdered them. Have you ever really got so angry that you couldn't have cared if that taxi went off the cliff? That person got shot in that moment of rage. I'm not saying you didn't calm down, but it says you might as well have murdered them because it was the intent of the heart. Have you, have you ever coveted someone else's partner in a way that's sexual? I mean, as a, a married person looked at someone else's wife and thought, oh, gee, that could work well. Or a single person to opposite sex. And Jesus says you've committed adultery. Okay, so let's be real now about how Jesus sees the situation. According to Jesus, you're a self-righteous, lying, adulterous who's murdered people. That's the full extent of the law. And the next logical step, next logical sequence to this is that only Jesus kept the law perfect. Because remember, we're preaching law to the lost under the banner of God's love. We're not preaching law as God's anger. We're preaching it. It's because of his goodness. He's given a law to lead us away from our so-called treasures that will keep us in death and be set free for, for grace. So Jesus is the only person who ever kept it perfectly. He was God. He wasn't born of sin. He did nothing right. Uh, he did nothing wrong to be sin. He wasn't born in sin. Whereas as humans, we did nothing wrong to have been born in sin. The Bible says we were born in first Adam. If you're in first Adam, you're a sinner. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. You're a sinner. Same way you don't have to do anything right to become righteous. You are in Christ to be righteous. So humanity is divided along the lines of you're either in first Adam or you're in last Adam. If you're in first Adam, you're dead. If you're in last Adam, you're alive. So dead and living people on the planet. To the dead, we have to preach law. To the living, we preach grace. It's so simple when you put it like that. But for the carnal mind, remember that's shrouded in all kinds of arguments and misunderstandings and perceptions and humanism. What we're talking about is utter folly to them. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't make it real, all our persuasive salesman gimmicks in the world aren't going to make it real. But we still have to preach the truth. And the truth is this, that only Jesus kept the law spotless. Only Jesus could turn around and say that he was treated unjustly because he was a righteous man that was murdered. Everyone else deserves the penalty of their crime. And there, you could refer to the person saying, when I asked you, are you at the same standard of, as God's righteousness? You said, yes. Well, that's not what Jesus thought. And when I said, could you live in such a way that you could avoid hell? You, didn't, you said, yes, but it doesn't really, according to the scripture, doesn't seem like you really can. 
But can I introduce you to this one who did live righteous, who offers you righteousness, and it has to be received by faith. See, preaching the gospel is, is very simple when you, when you boil it down. And to lead a person through the prayer of that is to kind of just cover all these bases of, God, you're righteous and holy, and I'm not. I'm the one who's standing in the dock who needs forgiveness. My arrogance, my rebellion. I need to be brought out of death into life because there's an eternal consequence that I could never have been good enough to avoid except that you avoided it for me. And that's leading a person with a hook in the bait. Amen. What I want us to do now, we're going to get into twos. And um, do, 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 do. And we're going to read those questions to each other because, as you can see, uh, I'll probably jumble them up a bit, but I've had a little bit more time to, to think on them. But just to reinforce it, you can read. And now, please, if you're the partner being read to, don't make it difficult for them. Just kind of go with the flow because some, it's just got to be practiced. It's just got to be repeated. So, so let's go through it. Let's find a partner. Well, this will take about 10 minutes because we'll do it this way and the, that way. And then afterwards we'll get together and I'm going to tie it up together. Amen. Okay. There were one or two good questions that came out of this as I was walking around. First of all, the purpose of this exercise wasn't to go into deep theological discussion on each point. As I said in my illustration, the point is to move to the next question. So I got asked with the first per somebody, what if after I ask somebody to believe in God, they say, no, there isn't? Well, the idea is just, well, one good answer to that is, okay, that's fair, that, that's your opinion. But now let's just suppose there was a God. Do you think he would care about what's right and wrong? Because you just want to get like a hypothesis going. You, you don't want to get stuck now and, and meet with this person for the next 25 years to prove there's a God. You want to move on to, let's suppose there is a God. Let's suppose there is a God. Do you think he cares, would care about what's right and wrong? No, 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 no. Okay. Moving on. Let's say there was a God. Do you think your life would match his standard? Yeah. And on it goes. Rob, come here quickly. Rob, please. Because I, I saw you gave your life to the Lord tonight, and I just want to make an example of you. Just, just with Rob up here. Are there any other? There was another good question, Liz, you, you asked. Okay, God's sovereignty. A person now goes off onto my sister got murdered, and if God is a God of love. Now, that's all real for them, but that's going to take you down a path, and you're not going to move. It's Again, it's like I don't believe in God. It's, gee, that, I mean, we want to show people sympathy and, and mercy and compassion, 
Can we come back and, and can I pray for you into that in a few minutes' time? Can we come back to that? For now, let's, let me just ask you the next question. Do, do you believe that if there was a God and he had a standard of right and wrong, do you think the way you're living right now is, is uh, to that standard? So it's, it's moving through and avoiding smoke screens all the time. Suppose there is. Can we come back to that one? Very good question. I haven't got the answer right now. Can I get back to you for, on that? You with me? So, Rob. Now, now, as I was thinking about this practically today, I, I, I was thinking, now, how do we actually do this? Because it's not like we're going to walk out here and the first person we bump into. But this was the idea I got. could be someone you work with, someone in the complex where you stay, someone that's a family member, someone that's a... a, a a child, sibling, and you say something like this. She at church on Sunday, we had quite an interesting uh, discussion. And the guy speaking um, asked us a whole bunch of questions, almost like a survey thing. Uh, would you be interested in hearing some of the questions? So we're a church, so it's non-threatening, it's just we're a church on Sunday. Our pastor asked us some questions, and they're quite thought-provoking. Would you mind if I asked you one? Do you believe there's a God? So now, here's a work colleague. We're chatting over lunch. He had been fishing the weekend, had a great time. Asked me what I did. I tell him I went to this crazy church in Pantown. Pastor started asking questions. I say, yeah, and, and Rob, uh, he just started, he like, did a bit of a survey, like, questions. Um, can, I, can I just tell you one of them, one or two of them? Do you believe there's a God? Okay, sure. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Um, do, you, do you think that God cares about what's right and wrong? Okay. And, and do you think that your life matches up to his standard of what's right and wrong? You do. You feel like your life is at the same standard. Okay, you can go sit down now. You're the only perfect person. Will, will God hold people accountable? for their wrongdoing? Very good answer. Because that, that does show something of the justice in his heart, even though he's self-righteous. Okay, um, so if people are going to be held accountable, do you believe there's a hell? An eternal separation from God? You die, you die. So you, you are apart from God. You, you're apart from God. You, you die and you're held accountable for your wrongdoing and you are now dead forever apart from God. Never, no more consciousness, no more awareness. You just vanish type of thing. Is that what you say? Okay. As I said on Sunday, um, I would differ slightly with Rob on the hell issue. I do believe in hell. I believe in Revelation 20, it speaks about hell and Hades being cast into the lake of fire. I believe in uh, extermination. Uh, I believe that there's going to be total annihilation of even hell. 
I'm in good company. I always quote Mark Eaton. He believed the same, believed that. And it's got good grounding. And it doesn't really change the fact that if someone is judged to go to hell, they lost eternally. Whether they are exterminated and they just perish, they're annihilated, as hell is annihilated in the lake of fire. Because eternity, we don't have a conception of eternity. And to have the perfection of God's kingdom for eternity alongside the screams and agony of those who rejected the gospel. I don't want to reduce it to my humanistic view of it, because if God, if that is what God does, then let God be true and every man a liar, and I will submit to God, because I just don't come close to his knowledge. But my study of scripture and my study of people on the subject, you get the far left, which don't believe in hell, that it's all just a concoction of the Middle Ages, and then the far right where God has created, will create the body in hell to keep producing flesh so the flesh can keep burning off. I, st- I, I really don't. I, I, you know, I, but the fact that there's an eternal consequence where people are cut off forever makes perfect sense and biblically. So that last answer, although he might know what he was saying, he was saying, I believe there's an eternal consequence. You see that? Now, okay, Rob, well, you did pretty well. You got about five out of six answers right. That's very good. Uh, Let me me tell you what Jesus thought about this subject. He said that uh, we to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength. Do you know anyone who's ever lived like that other than your wife? You know that Jesus even taught to get so angry with someone you wish they were dead is like murder. And if you look at... If you covered another man's wife or another man's husband, you're guilty. Even if you just had the thought, oh, I wish I was married to that person. That person would make me happy. You've committed adultery. And there's another one in there. Oh, have you ever taken something from work? Paper, clips, made phone calls on the boss's time? Strictly speaking, if you go over the speed limit by five kilometers, you've, you've, you've broken the law. Or if you steal a, you take printing paper home from the church... Janet, where are you? You take, and you didn't get permission from the boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you've stolen. So, so according to that, Jesus pretty much saying you are a, a self-centered, uh, adulterous, lying thief. But other than that, you know, you've got all the other questions right. No one has lived righteous, but Jesus is the only one who ever fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the only one who was treated unjustly because he should never have been murdered for living a perfect life. And that's the Jesus who offers you forgiveness from breaking his law and will qualify you to receive eternal life and avoid hell. And I can just pray for you now. Some of those other things you brought up, like your sister that was hijacked and all that, I pray for all those things. But I don't want to pray for you that Jesus will make his love known to you right now. Thanks, Rob. See you on Sunday. So, so yeah, just before that question, um, again, did you see the flow of it? Now, everyone in this room tonight will, 
be in contact with at least one person in the next week or two where you can talk about these weird and crazy questions you've got to ask the church. Can I share some of these with you? And see where it goes. You know what I've discovered with evangelism? is Sometimes we make an altar call and a guy comes up here. But what you don't see is all the altar call did was it moved it from 5 to 12 to 12. Granny prayed from 1 till 4. The friend at work witnessed from 4 to 7. Etc., 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 etc. Or when you get an opportunity when someone says, yes, I want it, know that you probably haven't taken them the whole way. But in starting this conversation, you could be adding to someone's journey. You could be taking them from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock and then come and say, gee, I feel like a failure. They didn't respond. I even prayed for them. You don't know if you took them to, from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock. So be encouraged. If you use this, you'll remember it. If you practice it, it'll become like breathing. Question. Yes. From your... I just feel it's important that um, we're not just during the day going to go and just walk up to somebody and start just asking them questions. What's going to happen is in your daily walk, uh, you're going to ask God in the morning to bring somebody your way. Or maybe God's already identified somebody to you at work or wherever, and he's laid that person on your heart. And then you wait for them to, to open themselves up. Because everybody's on a journey, as Steve said. And rather than just going and trying to whack into concrete, rather wait for that God to lay somebody on your heart and, and then wait for that person to initiate a conversation. They might just say, oh, you know, so how are you doing today? I'm, I'm really feeling this. My, my mom's not well and whatever. And then um, that's a good opportunity maybe to hear the Holy Spirit and start asking them some of these questions because we want to sow into um, good ground, you know, soft ground, not pick into, into concrete. Terry's made a good point there. And so let's stand up and we've got five minutes. We just want to remember that Jesus has said that the the field is already ripe. We don't have to even pray that it gets ripe. People are ripe right now. And as the Holy Spirit leads us into opportune moments, we could be the answer to our prayer that we pray tonight, which is, Lord, would you send out workers into the harvest field? So let's pray that together. Let's say, Father God, we thank you for this gospel that could change our world. But how shall they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can someone preach to them unless they are sent? So we ask, in Jesus' name, Lord of the harvest, would you thrust forth workers into the harvest field that is ripe?
and ready. Now, Lord, I just want to pray for my friends here tonight as we've gathered, as we've given ourselves to invest an hour of our, of our hard-earned day after long meetings and long uh, whatever we're involved in. We want to we pray for a culture to change at Highway. We're enough here, Lord. There's enough inertia in this room to begin the ball rolling. There's enough, there's enough of us in this. Jesus took you 12 people to turn the known world upside down. And, and, and there's enough critical mass from this group of people here tonight to see the culture shifting. We are preaching grace to the saved. But we are preaching the full gospel with the law as the hook to those who do not know you. And Lord, I just pray that in these coming weeks and months, and even into next year, that there would be a very clear culture shift at Highway. As we delight ourselves in grace, as we revel in grace, that we would see an, a mighty harvest breaking forth. And sons and daughters coming to mothers and fathers and families being established around spiritual fathers, spiritual sons, spiritual mothers, spiritual daughters that will then go and have their own families and multiply and reproduce. We pray, pray how we become a, a, a reproduction factory, not as a structure, but as families, sons and daughters in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So may the Lord give you an opportunity this week to do some of this. And next week will be our last week. It's also going to be a little bit practical around how people come to know the Lord. Yeah, we are squeezing one in because then we've got two weeks off. Next, next week will be our last on the discipleship because then the next two weeks are school holidays. And then we come back to discipleship. Sorry, last two on evangelism. So next week is the last one. And I'm really hoping that we get half an hour next week to actually pray again, uh, as you heard me on Sunday. So even in the life groups, even in the morning groups, let's keep this theme flowing. Um, God bless. Thanks for coming out. Bless you.